If you're just joining us for the first time, or if you're watching us on Facebook or YouTube, we're really glad that you're here and watching. We are, we've been discussing community all year, all year. Uh, I, I actually was uh, really excited about the message, and it was powerful, and I was crying in my office, and I, I, when those moments happen, I go home, and I share them with my wife, and she's like, I think Alan preached that identical message, part of that. So I had to go all the way back to January in our videos on Facebook. I mean, it took me a half an hour to scroll back, and I found his message, and sure enough, it was identical. So I had to come back in Friday and tweak it a little bit. So I didn't get rid of all of it, but I tweaked it. Because this is what I found out. Right after Alan preached that message, almost word for word, Chris Volatin preached the same message. And then Richard sent that message to me saying, wow, you need to listen to this. This is perfect for our community series. And so I remember telling Richard, uh, I think I said, thanks, Richard. I've been weeping since I hit play. And that's what I want to bring to you today. So I told Alan, I said, I think Chris Volatin plagiarized you. So we may be sending a letter to Bethel and saying, watch it. Stop copying light and life. Pretty, pretty amazing. You know, when God wants to get a message out, <laughs> he may use different messengers, but the message is the same. So I'm convinced today, this is why Richard brought this to the table, because this is a message. And yes, I'm going to repeat a lot of what Dr. Shelley said and, and a little bit of what Alan said, but you know, what did Dr. Shelley say with us last week? Sometimes it takes 15 times to hear something before you finally apply it to your life. So it's okay. I told you, I warned you in the beginning, we're probably going to be repeating a lot, but we're going to take a whole year if it takes, if it takes a whole year to learn about community. And we're not finished yet. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. If you didn't bring a Bible and there's black Bibles in front of you, if you can find one, it's page 1035, 1035. For you new people, it's not because I've memorized the Bible. I don't know the pages. I looked it up. Page 1035, Luke chapter 15. We're going to look again at a story that most of you are familiar with. But we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak something new and fresh. And do you realize it may not be anything that I'm talking about? God may speak something completely different to you. You write it down. That's the only reason you're allowed to have your cell phone out is if God is speaking to you or you're using your Bible on your phone, right? Because we don't want to be distracted. We're not supposed to fall asleep and get bored when we hear the same old story from the Bible again. And in case you are getting bored with Christianity or the Word of God, let me remind you of Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God is quick. Do you know what that means? Other translations say, that was the King James Version, other translations say, for the Word of God is alive and active. It is full of living power. It is energizing and effective. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Think about what Dr. Shelley presented last week about the soul and the body and the spirit and how the soul and the spirit are at war with each other. This verse says, the word of God pierces even to the division of soul and spirit. Want to know why your flesh is winning more often than your spirit? Because you're probably not reading this. And not just reading it, but applying. Remember what this says. Do not just be hearers only. Do not just sit in church Sunday after Sunday listening to a speech or a message. Apply it to your life. It's piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Wow. So if you're bored today with your life or with church or you're bored when you read your Bible or you're bored when you hear the same old uh, Bible story over, over again, it's probably one of two things or a combination of both. One, it's either because you're not feeding on God's living word every day or you don't, you don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's the truth. It might hurt, but it's the truth. We should feel alive and powerful and energized every time we eat from the word of God. Do you believe that? The word of God gives us our marching orders. The word of God should move us to action. 
Luke chapter 15, known by most of us as the parable of the lost son. But the problem with that title is that there are two sons involved. And there's a father involved. The story isn't just about one person. It's about a community. There's even more involved than the father and the two sons. And you may have never picked up on it, but that's what Chris actually points out in this message. In this case, in this parable, it's a family community that's involved. Luke 15, beginning with verse 11. I'm reading from the New American Standard uh, Bible. You can read from your version. It'll also be up on the screen. I hope you're following along with your Bible. I hope you brought it with you today so you can make notes, scratches, chicken scratches, and something that nobody else can read. And I'll try to discern it at your funeral, but probably won't be able to. And that's okay. Highlight, underline, circle. Don't just read it from a screen. You should have your bread with you. Verse 11, and he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that is coming to me. And so he divided his wealth between them. You know, the father just broke his heart. He didn't want this. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered his estate in wild living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to do without. He was poor. He was broke. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he longed to have his fill of the carob pods that the pigs were eating. I want you to think about this. This man was so desperate. He was eating from a pig's trough. Some of you feel that way today. Some of you listening to this online feel that. You just feel like you're at the rock bottom of life. And I want you to know in this story, you're going to see the Father show up. If you run back to the Father. If you run to Jesus, He's there with you to help you out of that moment of your life. Feeding in the pit with the pigs. And He longed to have His fill and no one was giving him anything. Verse 17, but when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired laborers have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here from hunger. I will set out and I will go back to my father's house and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Now there's a revelation the boy had. Some of us will have that revelation someday. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Lie lie from the enemy. This boy has partnered with a lie. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired laborers. How many of you are in an abusive relationship and you think you deserve to be treated that way? This is what he believes. Treat me the way I think I deserve to be treated. Verse 20, so he set out and came to his father, but when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. Everybody say, felt compassion. He felt compassion for him, and he ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. See, he rehearsed this. He rehearsed the lie. Now, this is a good point. He, he, he's admitting his wrong, and he's repenting. But then he partners with a lie in that repentance. Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Did the younger son partner with the enemy? With a lie, right? Did he pronounce a judgment over himself, as Dr. Shelley talked about to us all week, last week? Of course, but we never do that, do we? No comment? This next part is, part is so powerful and so emotional. But, remember my song I wrote about big butts and the word of God? Do I need to sing it? No, I won't. I want to so bad. But I pushed it with the other song. Eh, the superintendent's at family camp. I like big butts and the word of God. If you don't, then you're a fraud. I'm not, I'm not gonna say anymore. I'm not gonna say anymore. These are huge words in the word of God because the father had a choice and he came against the lie. 
But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, not just a skinny, worthless calf, the best calf on the property. Slaughter it and let's eat and you say it. What's the word? Celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, but now has come to life again. He was lost, but now he is found. And they begin to celebrate. They began to celebrate. 25. Now his older son was in the field. So there's two sons involved. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he wanted to know what was going on. Somebody's birthday? What's going on? So he summoned one of the servants and he began inquiring what these things could be. And the servant said to him, your brother has come and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But, here's a bad but. Not all buts are good, I guess. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you. I want you to listen to these words. For so many years I've been serving you, God. Why would you let this happen to me? We've all said this at some point in our life. For so many years I've been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. I've been a perfect little Christian. I've gone to church every Sunday and I lose my job. And yet you never gave me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you slaughter the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, son, oh son, you have always been with me. And all that is mine is yours. The enemy has blinded you. You are deceived. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Think about how powerful that story is. The father was waiting in hopeful anticipation that his son was going to return. He believed that. He was looking with hopeful expectation. He was preparing. He was preparing for his son to return. Listen, the father doesn't run after the son. Listen, the father doesn't run after his son while he is still in sin. He waits for his son to repent because he understands something that most Christians and churches don't understand in your notes if you're following along and filling in blanks. Most Christians and churches think that the goal is to get sinners into the building. But God's goal isn't to get sinners into the building. God's goal in your notes is to get them into repentance. His goal is to get them into the kingdom. By the way, did you notice that not only did the father not run after the son while he was in sin, the father also didn't turn his farmhouse into a house of prostitution. Pretty powerful point. He didn't turn the farmhouse into a house of prostitution so that his son would feel comfortable coming home in sin. Come on. I want you to not only just think about parents, but think about churches today. Isn't this what some churches are doing? They don't talk about sin or conviction. Just so everybody feels comfortable. Isn't this what parents do? They allow sin in the house just to have their children close. I would rather them do it under my house than somewhere else because at least I know they're safe. No, they're not. And you're not parenting, at least in a godly way, right? Not in a godly way. Proverbs says, train up a child in the way that they should go. So if they do wander and you, you have to wait for them to repent, they will come back and they will continue with the Lord. Train them up now while they're young. Don't allow sin in the house. Another thing that is so powerful in this story is that most preachers preach that it was the father who placed the robe and the ring and the sandals on the youngest boy. But do you know that the father actually instructs the community to restore the lost? The father instructs the community to restore the lost son. Wow. Did you hear that? 
Look at verse 22 again. The father said to his slaves, you go get the robe and put it on him. You go get the ring and put it on him. You go get the sandals and place it on his feet. The point is, the father is helping the whole community to know how to receive a son back who was lost but now is found. Church, we got to get this right. It's not just the pastor's job. It's not just God's job to welcome people back into the community. Are you tracking with me so far? In your notes. The Father is creating a community of redemption, restoration, and reconciliation. You can look those words up. They're big words. But basically, the Father forgave him, and he expected his community to forgive him and restore him and treat him as if nothing happened because the boy repented, right? It was the community that puts the robe on him. It was the community that placed the ring on him. It was the community that put his sandals on him. I want you to think about this. When a community, not just a pastor, welcomes, loves, and accepts everyone, that's what's on our sign out front, in case you didn't read it, where everyone is welcomed, loved, and accepted. Well, we better make sure we do it when they show up because we're proclaiming that that's our goal. When a community brings hope, healing, and purpose to the prodigals when they return, then, think about this, think about the story, think about churches, think about your own life, but think about the prodigal son. When he returned, because the father did this, he basically said to the whole community, now he didn't know, he forgot his son was out in the field, so he wasn't listening. But when he had the community restore his son, that meant that the son does, doesn't have to think, well, yeah, Pastor Mark is protecting me, but everyone else hates me. Think about the shame that this boy in the parable came home with. What, what did we just sing? Check your shame at the door. It does not belong in the father's house. Well, that's the story. Think about the shame that was all over this boy when he returned. But now he understands that the whole community has taken on the mindset of forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation. And the shame was broken off of him. Not because one person accepted him and forgave him, because the whole community did. We've lost people in this church, sadly, because the leaders forgave them, but you didn't. And you shamed them and they left. I'm not pointing out names. I don't know. You know, I just know it happens. I'm not even thinking of a specific story, but it happens. Sometimes they can't forgive themselves and they leave. Okay? But sometimes we keep throwing stones at people. What's so cool about this story is that shame was not allowed or accepted in that community. And it's not allowed here in the house of God, in this family, as long as I am the, the Moses and the shepherd of this place. I won't allow it. Why? Because the whole community embraced him. In your notes, the whole community had the right response. Everybody say the right response. The whole community had the right response to the sinner who came home. Are you hearing me, church? What is the right response? To celebrate. Not his return, because he could have returned in sin. They celebrated his repentance. Some parents celebrate the return, and they go, oh, don't worry about it. You can bring your girlfriend. You can sleep together. I don't care. Just do drugs. Just do it downstairs so I don't smell it, and just keep it in my house so I know you're safe. Not this father. This father said, you can come home if you repent. And when he repented and said, I have sinned against heaven and you, welcome back. It's as if nothing ever happened because that's what repentance is. It's pretty amazing. Listen, like the father in the parable, we don't build a house of God to house sin. We don't build a holy place to house unholiness. We don't build a place where the Holy Spirit has the freedom to convict and transform lives just to then turn it around to make people feel comfortable. We build a house of God to bring glory to God. We build a house of God to display the character of God. We respond to the prodigals the way God would respond. We keep 
our love on. Even though we're done with that part, you're still going to hear it. We do what God would do, and we turn on unconditional love and unconditional acceptance. Not acceptance of sin, but of repentance. The boy has repented. He doesn't need a message on repentance. He has come back and said, I have sinned against heaven and you, Father. And the father in your notes, the father was smart enough to know that the boy doesn't need a lecture. He just needs connection. He's already dealt with his sin against God. He already asked for forgiveness from his dad. Now it's all about connection. How do we re-engage you into the community as quickly as possible so that the enemy can't come in and drive a wedge in your thoughts so that you can forgive yourself? It's a lot easier, by the way, the Holy Spirit just downloaded this, so be ready for this. It's a lot easier for me to forgive myself if, I've know, if I know you've forgiven me. If I don't know because I'm hearing comments in the foyer, then I'm going to have a lot harder time forgiving myself. But Chris points out in this message, how many of you understand that this is not just a story of a prodigal son? This is a story of two sons. How many of you realize that the father didn't just run after one son? He ran into the field twice. He ran into the field twice. He finds out that the older son refused to come into the party. So he goes back out into the field and he says to him, what's your deal? What's going on in your heart? And the son answers, this son of yours has spent all of your inheritance on prostitute and whores and you, you give him a party? You throw a party for him when I've been faithful to you? Think about what this son is really saying. Look at my, re my religious, self-righteous spirit. Isn't it beautiful? I've been faithful. I've attended church every Sunday, except for when I'm on vacation. Look at my religious spirit. Isn't it? Will you pet it? Will you hold it? And you never even gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. And his father said to him, son, you have been with me always. Do you see what happens here? Do you see what's happening there? The father is honoring his son. He's honoring his faithfulness. Watch what happens. See what the reward is. Do you want to know what the reward is? For those who don't waver in their faith, who are steadfast in their commitments, who don't live on the fence because the devil owns the fence, who give and serve and attend and keep their love on always, those who are always found with God, see what the reward is for a community, a church community, a family community, your workplace, a friendship community, who are found always with God, always right with God. This is what I want for you in the church. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me. Son, he made a mistake. He got one little goat. Yeah, it was fat. It was the best one on the property. He got one goat and one party. All the rest is yours. And you let the enemy deceive you. You got jealous. You let jealousy take you out of church. You let competition take you out of church. You wouldn't even come into my house. Remember what Jesus said, I think it was to Peter, when Peter's like, well, what about John? What about John? Is he going to be greater than me? Is, what is he going to do? And what did Jesus say? What is it to you? Why don't you just focus on your own calling and your own life and your own sin and your own sin and your own mistakes? Why don't you just fix those and let John be John and you be you? Pretty powerful. I wish the father would have re repeated those words. What's that to you? You see what the reward is for being faithful? You might think, well, everybody else is out having fun and I'm just this straight-laced Christian. Well, guess what? All will be yours someday. And what they have will be burned up. So you let them be them, you be you. You be you, boo. I think that's what Katie always tells me. Watch this now, okay? All that is mine is yours. 
Your brother may have gotten one fat calf, but you own the farm. Let that sink in. And then he says, but this brother of yours was dead and had, this brother of yours, he's reminding him, this dude is family. He's not just some guy off the street. This brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. And that, my son, is worth celebrating even if you want to have a tood. See what happens when you disconnect from community? See what happens when you disconnect from community? You have misguided, strong opinions about other people. And the father of lies and deceit begins to control your every thought and even your words. This son of yours. This son of yours. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's also your brother. Sadly, in most communities, we run from the broken. What God is trying to invade your souls with today is this quote from Chris from the sermon. Something happens when we stay connected to the broken. Something happens when we stay connected to the broken in our community. Not just Dubois community, eh? talking church family community as well. And in your family family, which is your first ministry. We don't look at them with eyes of judgment, but with eyes of compassion. It was compassion that caused his father to run to him. Even though he had no idea what the son was going to say. But I have a feeling the father knew he was coming back in repentance. Right? Are you with me? The father in the parable is smart enough to know that it is not us against them. It's not Republicans against Democrats. It's not members against leadership. Listen to me. It's not Christians against homosexuals. It's not Baptist against the free Methodist. The father was smart enough to know that the younger brother needed compassion while the older brother needed confrontation. The both boys needed something. They needed to be discipled in something. Listen, he, he's more than my son. He's your brother. Get over yourself. That's what the older son needed to hear. Sometimes we need to hear that. By the way, do you remember who's telling this parable? Jesus. And he's ministering to your soul right now. So I have a question. Are you the older brother or are you the younger brother? Are you the younger brother? Do you need to return home to Jesus today? Just close your eyes right now and just think about that. Let's pause for a minute. We have a lot more to cover, but let's just pause. This is huge. Do you just need to return home? Because Jesus is just waiting on the porch for you to come around the corner. And he wants to run to you and welcome you back. Father, forgive me for what I've done. I want to be back in your family or I want to come into your family for the first time in my life. I don't have to be Pastor Mark. I don't have to be this perfect little Christian. Jesus, my fa the Father is just waiting for you to come around the corner. He doesn't care how dirty you are. Th think about this boy as your eyes are closed. Think about the pig slop that was probably all over his clothes. He probably, the sandals were probably broken. His feet were probably had cow poop on them. I mean, you got to think about the culture then. He just walked miles on a dusty road, accidentally stepping in feces or whatever. He is, he's, he's at his worst. And you may be at your worst today. And Jesus is saying, just come around the corner. I've been waiting. Just come around the corner and I will run to you and put my arms around you and welcome you back. If you're the younger boy, just receive the forgiveness from Jesus today. We receive that in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for welcoming me back into your family and to your community. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me unconditionally. Okay, you can open your eyes. What if you're the older brother? Do you need to drop your stones? With that parable in mind, let's leverage that to get to the point of uh, today's message. That was just the introduction. <laughs> Chris points out something incredibly interesting about this parable in our culture today, and this is what he said. This really shook me to my core. The sad thing about this story, the prodigal son, is that the story doesn't actually fit our culture in this way. It is not sons that are prodigal today, it's fathers. In 
1950, less than 5%, less than 5% of all children were born out of wedlock in America. By 2017, that number rose 1,700%. It is now 51% of children that are born without a father in their life. 75 to 90% of all inmates grew up fatherless. 63% of all teen suicides are from a fatherless home. I could go on and on and on. And we're worried about COVID. I'm not going to go into the effects of living fatherless because Angel's working on a couple sermons. The importance of spiritual fathers and mothers in the community. But for the sake, so for the sake of the time, I'll leave that up to her. But I just want you to know, COVID is the last of our concerns. It is a concern, but it's the least of our issues in our world. We're not going to be judged when we get to heaven. We're not going to be judged whether or not we had a virus, but how we lived. And my concern isn't only that we're, we are worried about all the wrong things, because I think we are to some extent. My number one concern is that we are so self-centered that we don't even care. We have lost our compassion, especially for the broken and the lost. And we don't reconnect with the prodigals. We don't reconnect with the prodigals. We just keep slinging stones at them until they go away. Even if they return with a repentant heart. You know why we do this, church? Because we think it's easier that way. Out of sight, out of mind. Well, we don't handle sin here because it's just too hard and ugly to deal with. How do you do restoration? How do you restore someone that sinned in the church? (laughs) Well, church, why don't you open your Bible and go to Matthew 18 and read it for once and restore people who have made a mistake, including leaders. I don't necessarily mean back to their position, but why can't a community restore a leader that has fallen? And even if they move on, they move on knowing that the community flows in restoration and reconciliation and repentance. And I can now move on to the next chapter of my life with peace because they forgave me. And I can forgive myself a lot easier because a body that I cared for cared for me as well. I want you to think about this. It's not done well in America, in churches right now. And when you do that, when you keep slinging stones at people that have made a mistake, even though they've repented, you end up on one spectrum of the other. You either get too comfortable with sin as a church, or you shame the sin to death. Neither one of those are keeping your love on. Church, we need to wake up. We need to rise up and come out of the grave of shame and condemnation and punishment. Do you, do you understand that the punishment that you're trying to deliver to the person who abused you was already paid for on the cross? Forgive them. Let Jesus deal with them. You other churches need to come out of agreement with the lie that we're supposed to be comfortable in the presence of God and that church growth is somehow more important than hosting the presence of God. One is of the flesh and one is of the spirit. And as church leaders, we get to choose. Now, what are we going to do about this fatherless issue in our society? What are we going to do about this older son judging mindset? What are we going to do about making sure that our prodigals have connection in community again when they come back and are repentant? What's the answer? Chris says the answer to closing this gap is discipleship. All he's talking about is closing the gap. It's not going to solve everything. The answer to this is discipleship. And if you didn't know in your notes, Jesus never called his followers Christians. He always referred to them as disciples. You know why? Because it was pretty obvious. Someone was discipling someone. Everyone was being discipled by someone. And one of the things that we in the church are lacking are the kind of relationships that were demonstrated to us by Jesus and his disciples. 
They had, and, and Alan in his message on January 24th, he called it a covenant relationship. Chris just called it a bonding relationship. It's the same thing. But for, for the sake of my message, because I want to be better than Alan, they had a bonding relationship. His word is more biblical. But Listen to me very closely. We need men who are bonding with men and women who are bonding with women for the purpose of discipling one another. In your notes, men need men and women need women. Now let me ask you something and don't raise your hand. Do not respond to this. How many of you had a perverted thought when I said that? How many of us automatically think when we're walking in the mall that when we see two girls holding hands, we think that there, there may be, they may be more than just friends? Want to know why? Because everything that is powerful in the kingdom is being perverted by the devil. It's a quote from Chris. It is not only healthy for men to bond with men and women to bond with women, it is the kingdom. Father, Son, Spirit. Alan is the perfect, no, Alan preached on the perfect example of this. I did that on purpose. Alan preached on the perfect example of this in January when he spoke on Jonathan and David's covenant relationship. I'm not going to re-preach his message like I said, but I want to show you something else from the relationship that Alan missed. He missed it. That's okay. It wasn't the point of his message. What was really cool is when I re-listened to his message, I went, oh, there's actually another thought here that we need to explore because he did such an incredible job, I got rid of it. But there's another thought that Chris brings out about how the enemy is deceiving us today into thinking that a male-to-male or female-to-female bonding relationship can be twisted into perversion. Go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 1. 2 Samuel chapter 1. Page 296 in your black Bibles. 2 Samuel chapter 1. Alan, when he, when he delivered his message, in first, he explained in 1 Samuel chapter 18 that Jonathan and David's souls were knitted together. They had a bond that we all need to experience. And I want to read you the passage that even today people are using to make the perverse accusation that Jonathan and David had a homosexual relationship. Are you ready for this? 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 25. David says this after Jonathan has died in battle. Verse 25, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. And sadly, the enemy and some humans have perverted that. Listen, they didn't have a sexual relationship at all. What they had was a brotherhood where they were bonded together. Jonathan said earlier on, and Alan brought it out, he said, I love you, David, more than myself. Well, that's homosexual. No, what did Jesus say? Love your neighbor as yourself. Jonathan was just, about, just kind of given a prophecy of what Jesus was going to say. The point is, let's not pervert the things that God has intended for us. God wants us to bond with each other. And that doesn't happen on Sundays. It happens by doing life together. And you won't bond with everyone. That's okay. But you should be bonded with someone. And someone should be bonded with you. Do you know how the father and his sons bonded in the parable? Do you know how the father and the sons bonded in the parable? Through difficulty. Through a difficult, troubling, hard time as a family. Do you know how much, do you know how Jonathan and David bonded? I want you to really let this sink in. Because we run from relationships when something goes wrong. Do you know how Jonathan and David bonded? In battle. At war. In difficult and scary places where death was possible. 
You see, the very thing we run from, the battles of life, is the very thing God wants to leverage to make our relationships bonded. Listen, if we're going to be a mighty army going into battle together, we better be bonded together for that. We won't survive the end days without being bonded together. It's hard enough to survive this life without it. And that's why many are not, and they're turning to suicide when they should have sought out a bonding relationship with someone that would have fought with and fought for them. But many don't. They insist on doing life alone in their bedrooms, in front of TVs and video games. Parents, I have a message for you today. I believe it's from the Holy Spirit. You are teaching your kids to not have bonding relationships by allowing them to stay isolated in the house. You are teaching them that. Stop allowing them to dictate what they want and start teaching them what they need. Make them go to youth group. Make them go come to church. Since when did the kids, when did God tell kids to dictate when they're going to go to church and youth group? I don't understand that. What happened to parenting? Well, they won't talk to me. Boo-hoo! If they throw a toot, give them consequences for the attitude. I mean, parent them into the kingdom because life is hard. Don't make it easy for them when they're the kid. Don't make it hard on purpose when they're kids. But come on. Life is hard even for a teenager. It's hard for you. Who's letting you off the hook? No one. So why are we letting them off the hook? You sit with them and you say, honey, I, I realize life is hard and that stinks that someone said that to you at youth group. But going to youth group is not an option. You must face them and forgive them. And let's walk. I'll help you, or Alan will help you. The leaders will help you. They love both of you. They'll bring you together, but you're not going to throw a toot and say, I'm never going to church again, because that's what your dad's doing, and I won't allow it with you. I can't make him, but I can make you. You hearing me? Come on. Teach your teens to have godly friends who will water the seeds that have been planted in their gardens. The point is men need men and women need men, women and even teens need that. Let's protect our hearts from allowing the enemy to pervert what God intended for good. If you want a great female example of that, once again, Alan stole my thunder and he preached on Ruth and Naomi. Read the story of Ruth and Naomi. Talking about women who had a, a woman who had a bond with another woman. Once again, Alan used that example well in his message, so I'm not going to rehash it, but I, I want to point out one passage that stuck out to me, once again, that he didn't read. No, he read it. It was a different version. That's right. You did read it, but I found a different version that I absolutely love, and it's the definition of bonding, okay? Listen, the story is that Naomi, her, her husband died, and she had two daughter-in-laws, and their husbands died, so it's three women left alone. And one's daughter's name was Oprah. No, it wasn't. It was Orpah. Name your child that. It wasn't Oprah. Or she said, listen, you guys, I don't have a lot of money now. And back then, you know, money came from the mail. So they, she was worried. I can't take care of you. So you need to go back to your homeland. I'm going here and you're not going to be welcomed here. And you're Moabite. So you need to go home and find yourself a husband that'll take care of you. And Orpah said, see ya. That's a true statement. I'm, I'm going home. She became a prostitute. Guess who she birthed? Goliath. Not on her own, but in her generational chain. Goliath was born because she returned to prostitution. But Ruth said, I'm not going back. Listen to what she actually said, and this is what I want to point out about a great definition of bonding. This is what she said in Ruth 1, verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and laughed. But Ruth clung to her. That's what it looks like, folks. That's what we should see here at Light and Life and in the Church of America. No one alone. But more importantly, we should have people that we cling to, listen, in a healthy way. Hear me out. You don't sit at home waiting for a Jonathan to show up and serve you. Remember what Alan said? It was the most profound thing I think he said in that whole message. Everybody wants to be a David because they want a Jonathan to just serve them. But no one wants to be a Jonathan. And then Alan said something pretty profound. You can't, you can't be a David unless you are willing to be a Jonathan. That's the, that's the spirit of the sword cutting the division of your soul and spirit. 
In other words, this is what my message to you today is, focus on being a Jonathan to someone else. Disciple them, do life with them, go into battle with them instead of running when life gets hard. And then I believe that God will either send your Jonathan to you or your David that you're serving will become your Jonathan. Maybe then they will just naturally disciple you as you disciple them, I don't know. But the bottom line is we all need someone to cling to in a good, healthy way, not in a needy way, okay? I want you to know something, not in your head, but in your heart this morning, and it is this. There is something about bonding that we all need. Men need men and women need women doing life together, discipling one another, going to battle with each other. Obviously, I shouldn't be more bonded with Alan than I am with my wife, okay? Do we get that? That would be a perverted version of what I'm talking about. So understand, anything can get perverted. But the truth is, there are things that angel cannot give me that other men give me. And the same is true with angel with women. I thank God every day for women in this church. I mean, Katie and Jen Marsickle, they came and swept her away on her birthday to do women things. (laughs) Yeah, nails, spa, feet, yeah. I don't know, and I don't care what they did, honestly. All I know is they rescued me from having to entertain her all day. Because I, I couldn't come up with anything. They gave her something that I couldn't or wouldn't. Are you tracking with me so far? Are you staying pure in your minds? Don't let the enemy pervert this. Because I absolutely love the bonds that I have with the men in my life. And Angel loves the bonds that she has with the women. So let me explain it this way. When I look at my Christian walk, and Chris brought this up, it was pretty amazing. He brought up that it it wasn't the prayer of salvation that caused him to grow spiritually. It was the men in his life. It didn't come from a prayer. It came from a bonding relationship that Jesus blessed him with. When we we say a prayer seven times and over and over the salvation prayer and nothing changes, well, that means there's something more to the Christian walk, folks. It's accountability, it's bonding, relationships, people that will challenge you, go to war with you. How did I arrive where I am today? I think of Don Parent, a camp counselor who's who's now uh, passed away. But when I was eight years old in, in camp, he changed my life. I think of my childhood pastors, Glenn and Arlen Landis. I think of an incredible, powerful man who was my Sunday school teacher, Henry Magruder, who used to pull me aside after Sunday school and speak into my life. You, young man, have something special on you. And God is going to use you in powerful ways. Do you also know that I hated Henry because he also came at me one time and said, don't you ever speak up and, and, and say that again. That is not biblical. So he confronted me as well. I was both prodigal sons at times. There are so many to name. My best friend and my best man at my wedding, Eric Brown. I think of some spiritual mentors who pushed me, challenged me, went into battle with me, but also encouraged me. Ken Yenser, who launched me into full-time ministry. Jim Payne, my pastor, free Methodist pastor, who's now retired from Elmira, New York. Royce Ross became my mentor the moment I moved here. God blessed me, blessed me with an amazing man of God. Royce Ross, who still mentors me when I, if I need to call him and ask him questions. He still disciples me. They were men I have a bond with because of their love for me and their care for me and their accountability to me, I know, I know that they are the reason I've never turned my back on God. I know that. I have a lot of women who disciple me as well. Dr. Shellshock, I mean, oh my word. My wife, holy crap. But these men had a huge impact on my life. I never knew my biological father. He passed away when I was a year old, but God gave me many fathers to raise me up and disciple me into the ways of God. Do you know what God showed me through those relationships? The kingdom. He showed me the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together, battling, submitting to one another for the good of the kingdom, right? But you know what? Humans are even trying to pervert that. Can you imagine how sad Here's the point that I really want you to hear. Being a Christian and a disciple are supposed to go hand in hand, but there's something special and meaningful and deeper and more impactful about being a disciple rather than just being a Christian, going to church and sitting in a chair. 
listening to a speech in your notes. So many of us are Christian, but we have never experienced a bonding relationship, being discipled by someone or discipling someone. And that is not only what God or Jesus modeled for us. That, that is exactly what Jesus and God modeled for us. They modeled deep, intimate relationships. And as believers in a church community, listen, our souls should be knitted together. This is so huge. This is so huge. This is the point I want you to go home with today. In your notes, when you are a disciple or when you are being discipled, you accelerate the kingdom inside of you. Wow. When you are a disciple or you are being discipled by someone, you are accelerating the kingdom inside of you. Remember we talked about tending your garden? Well, I have a question for you to ponder. In our Christian walk, we get a lot of seeds from heaven, right? That are planted in our garden, the garden of our heart. Do you agree with that? Well, who's going to water them? I know for me, God planted a lot of seeds in me through sermons and my devotions and through people on Sunday morning speaking words of knowledge. But I didn't know how to take care of my garden. And the reason that those seeds grew and matured and produced fruit was because of the people I had a bonding relationship with. They would remind me of what God had spoken, especially during my battles. They would push me to believe in the words that God had spoken over me. And they were by my side to do whatever they could do to see those promises fulfilled in me. They were watering the seeds that God had planted. I'm telling you folks, the lack of having bonding, discipling relationships is why so many Christians walk in here and back out. And they walk out of a relationship with Jesus right after beginning a new relationship with him. Think about this. New Christians receive a brand new seed from God, but there is no one in their garden to show them how to tend it. They are new gardeners and they don't know what to do. No, no one is there to teach them how to fertilize and water and grow their salvation. And it's not just new believers who need this. We all do, no matter how old of a Christian we are. We all need someone speaking into our lives, right? And we all should be speaking into someone else's life. Well, pastor, I, I asked the Lord into my heart yesterday. Well, then guess what? You have one day with Jesus that someone else doesn't have. You can't get out of it. If you're a believer, you can't get out of this. You should be discipling someone. We talked a little bit about our broken society, right? How broken it is, the fatherless society. I want you to think about how much God needs you right now to be a disciple for him. People are growing up in abusive and neglectful and fatherless and motherless homes. They don't know how to live in the kingdom of God. We have to show them. Let's stand. I want you not to tune out on me. I've got some pretty big points to just close this out with. I want you to think about the father in the parable. He gave both sons something different in the parable today. Can I just tell you something? The world is going to need compassion from you. And at times, some Christians are going to need some loving confrontation from you. You know, want to know why? Because it's difficult to be compassionate when you have a religious spirit. Let's disciple one another and not get offended when somebody says, you're wrong. Can, can I just show you in the word of God what it actually says? We love you too much for you to be wrong and have the enemy deceive you. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, Right after David's last words, there's a list of David's warriors. Whole list of people that belonged to him. Guess what? Get, guess what his eulogy was? He was their father. Let's pray and intercede right now before we leave here today. Dusty, can we come up and do that song? And you're going to be dismissed, so you don't have to stay around. I know it's late. The kids may end up coming up, coming up, so just don't let them distract you. I just want us as a community to actually pray and intercede before we leave here today. You don't have to come up front, but you can. I want us to pray for a, a revival or an uprising of fathers and mothers and disciples in our nation and in this church.
and then I need you to just seek God. If, if you don't do anything else, before you leave, I want you to ask God, who should I be discipling? In church, in my family first, at work, in my neighborhood. God's not going to give you more than, well, he'll give you more than you can handle, but I don't think he's going to give you more disciples than you can handle. He's going to point out exactly who you should be pouring your time and talent and, and resources into. Who will you enter into a bonding, discipling relationship with? Men with men, women with women. It doesn't mean, now I oversee worship and stuff, and Dusty's the worship leader, so I am discipling her. But we never meet alone. Because we're not going to pervert that. Who are you bonding with? And I don't mean that it's only the children in the church that need father figures. Do you know that we have 20, 30, 40, and even 50 or 60-year-olds who have never had a father figure in their life? Many of us have never had a bonding relationship before, and age doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the one who is discipling you is younger than you. If they inspire you to chase after God, bond with them. Do life with them. Invite them shopping with you. Take them on vacation with you. You cling to each other. As long as you are both pushing each other to chase after God. Which ultimately, and Paul always reminds me of this, to know God's heart. As long as you're pushing each other to know God's heart. Let's solve the fatherless issue right here, right now in this church community first. So that it begins a reformation into our local community. And I'm going to go against one of the lies that's happening in the church. If you are 50 years old or older, can I just tell you something? God is not done with you. And you should be discipling someone. And you should be allowing someone to disciple you. Your ministry is just starting. You're not allowed to retire from ministry. Sorry. Who's your Becky? Who are you pouring your time, talent, and resources into? This is not a church calling. This is a, a believer calling to be a disciple and to be discipled. Can I just pray over you? And then we're going to sing this song, The, the Father's House. Uh, I love it. And I just want you to use that as a, as a prayer um, to pray it over our church, pray it over our community, pray it over the church in America where churches are now so comfortable with sin, they won't even bring it up. And all they're doing is creating more fatherless issues and motherless issues. That's really what they're creating. Rick, I, especially I know this is your, your ministry, your anointing to be a father of the fatherless. And I just, as we pray, I'm just thinking of you and just praying a special blessing over you. Rick's heart just weeps for those fathers who are not in church. The mothers and the children are coming, but the fathers are just, they're not in. Can we just pray over those people as we pray, as, you, as we sing and we pray? Father, uh, I'm not going to remember everything I just said, but, but the big thing is this. If I'm the younger boy in this parable, thank you for allowing me to come back home. If I'm the older brother in this parable, can I just reach in my pocket right now that I've been gearing up to sling stones tomorrow at work at coworkers that are mean to me? Can I just reach in my pocket right now, take them out, and just drop them? For the person that abused me and that hurt me when I was young, I'm dropping those stones. I am no longer going to punish them. I'm going to forgive them and set them free and set myself free. Father, I'm asking just, just, just more specifically as that sermon shifted into bonding relationships that you would make it very clear. And if not, eventually you would make it clear who that person is that we are to disciple, but also to get over ourselves and allow someone else to disciple us. Both has to happen at the same time or at least be discipled by someone and then eventually God will send you a David that you can disciple. Help us to be Jonathan. And then help us to be David and receive, receive the love and compassion from somebody else into our life. Some of us are so determined to do this on our own. We'll figure it out. I don't need a church person to tell me what to do. No, 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 no. If you're saying that, you need it more than anybody. You are proven to yourself. Everybody that says, I don't need inner healing. You just proved that you needed it more than anybody I know as soon as you say that. Because that's pride. How about ask the Father if you need inner healing? How about ask the Father if you need someone to disciple you? Go to the Holy Spirit and talk to Him and He'll tell you. 
Father, I pray specifically over Rick and the people that I know he's thinking of right now that you would just give him the words and the wisdom to say when you want, what you want him to say and when you want him to say it and then keep his mouth shut otherwise and just help him to love on them, continue to love on them as he is. I believe we're going to see those men return to church. I pray for the husbands, the, the, the wives here today, that they long for their husbands to be a part of this. And we pray in the name of Jesus that they would return or come to you for the first time. Because who, who wants to lead a family spiritually when, when they weren't called to leave it alone? And so we pray fathers back into their positions. Angel's going to talk about spiritual mothers and fathers. I'm specifically talking about these natural fathers who struggle with Christianity and faith, and they struggle with doubt and unbelief. In the name of Jesus, and I believe we're going to see fruit from this, if you're praying with me and believe this, those of you especially that are here today and your spouse, wife, or husband are not with you, you believe this, and you claim it, and you repeat it out loud that my husband will return, my wife will return. She will go to church with me someday, but you don't nag them. You just go to prayer about it. And when they open the door, you answer any questions that they have, but you keep your love on when you're at home and you keep loving them if you're married to them. Some of us may be in a relationship right now that we're not married and we know we have to end it today because we've realized I cannot bond with this person any longer because we are unequally yoked. They don't believe what I believe. If you remember what Ruth said, may your God be my God. That's what she said to Naomi. I want to cling to you and I want your God to be my God. If that you can't say that about an a, a, a unmarried relationship, you, you may need to get out of that. Stop trying to be their savior and save them and bring them to Christ. And just realize they don't believe what I believe. And I need to trust the Lord that he will send me somebody who does. In the name of Jesus. I love you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this message from Dubois Light and Life Church. We hope you're blessed by it. To hear more messages or get more information about Light and Life Church, please visit DuboisFMC.org or check us out on Facebook.